As G.K. Chesterton said, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Here on Swimming Upstream, we go against the cultural stream by championing life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. Your host is Eric Sammons, author of seven books, including Holiness for Everyone, The Old Evangelization, and Bitcoin Basics. Now let's get swimming. Welcome to episode 99 of Swimming Upstream. I'm Eric Sammons. 99, almost near the big 100, and as I mentioned in a previous podcast, I'm going to have a major announcement in episode 100, so you don't want to miss it. Uh, today, I'm going to uh, give a recording of a talk I gave recently. I gave a talk to a women's group recently on sanctification through work, and I discussed specifically uh, through the spirituality of St. Jose Maria Escriva, the founder of Opus Dei, how we can sanctify our lives through work. And by work, I meant, and I explained this in the talk, I mean specifically anything we do that we don't do for leisure. So it's not only paid work, but work at home, uh, work uh, even for a charity, things like that, but how we can sanctify our lives through our work. I I enjoy giving this talk as a topic that uh, is dear to me and is kind of a personal nature to, as you'll see in the talk. I hope you enjoy it as well. Here we go. (laughs) Yes. You understand. Very good. Okay, so today I was going to, I'm going to speak about the, the sanctification of work, the sanctification through work, and basically according to the teachings of St. Jose Maria Escriva. Now, when I, like it was mentioned in, in the intro, I went to Miami University and I got a degree in systems analysis, and, but I converted to Catholicism my senior year of college, long, long ago. And after I converted right out of college, instead of working in software development, I worked for a pro-life group. I went to World Youth Day, uh, that was 1993, World Youth Day in Denver, just a few months after graduation. And then I went off to get my graduate degree in theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville. If you've ever been to Steubenville, you know that's a very uh, Catholic place to be, uh, lots of ways to practice your faith and things like that. So what happened, though, is after about a year and a half or so after, after I graduated from college, I ended up, then we got married, Suzanne and I got married, and I took a job as a software developer in the Washington, D.C. area. And so for the next 15 years then, I worked in software development until about 2009, 2010, something like that. Now, for me, that was a, a big adjustment, a, a struggle, in fact, when I went from being on the high of converting Catholicism at the end of college to working for a pro-life group full-time to then going to school at Steubenville, in a sense, it was very easy for me to practice my Catholic faith during that time because all of my time was spent doing Catholic things, either studying or doing pro-life work or whatever the case may be. But then when I entered the real world, got a real job, married, started having kids, It became very difficult for me, at least, and I've talked to a number of other people, they found the same thing. It became very difficult for me to make that adjustment to, okay, I still want to live the Catholic faith, I still want to grow in holiness, be a good Catholic, but now most of my time is spent working a job at a regular company, taking care of the kids at home, doing all the things around the house, whatever the case may be. And to me, it was almost like two different worlds I was living in. 
I would spend some time, you know, I'd want to go to, I'd go to mass or I'd pray or pray the rosary or whatever. And then that would be a little bit of my week. But then the vast majority of my week was what I would consider, in my brain at least, non-Catholic activities. And so that was a difficult thing for me to adjust to. And it took years, really, for me to kind of stop living these two different lives. And it really was when I was introduced to the teachings of St. Jose Maria Escriva. It was actually um, a great book on uh, St. Jose Maria, well, besides my own, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is, uh, it was Scott Hahn who actually introduced me to St. Jose Maria Escriva. He's written a nice book on Opus Dei, and St. Jose Maria Escriva, if you're not familiar with him, he is the founder of Opus Dei. Now, I'm not a member of Opus Dei. I never have been, but I find a lot of benefit from St. Jose Maria's writings. And really, he, he is, the, like I said, the founder of Opus Dei. Opus Dei means work of God, and that name he gave it, it kind of has two meanings. The first is he believed very strongly that it was a work of God, this, this, uh, what he was doing, this apostolate he was doing. He believed it was a work of God. But also, the title kind of has to do with the fact that his focus of his apostolate, of his ministry, was the sanctification of work. That he believed very strongly that we are saved through our work. Now, he, is the first, he was the first to say, he lived, by the way, he was uh, born in the early 20th century. He died in 1975, I believe it was. So he's a pretty modern saint. And he, he was the first to admit, he wasn't the first to think this up. It's not like he then invented something new. He was taking what the tradition had always said, and he was trying to present it in a way that the modern world would understand. But that was a major focus of his work. And so by reading his work, it was... And this was like probably around 2005, 2006. So you can see I had like 10 years of struggle with this before I kind of started to see that there is a, a melding of the two. I don't, I'm not actually supposed to live two different worlds, my Catholic world and my secular world, the sacred and the secular. So that's what I wanted to talk about then is how do we do that? How do we sanctify our work? Now, just a real quick note. When I use the term work, I don't, I'm not restricting that to professional work. Work is essentially anything we do that we're doing that's not leisure. Uh, so basically it can be professional work. It can be the work you do at home. You're changing diapers, making dinner, you know, chores around the house, whatever the case may be. Uh, it's volunteer work. When you do volunteer work, that's work. I mean, all these things are work. Anything you do that you're not basically doing for pleasure, for, for leisure, is work. And so just note that whenever I'm saying work, I'm not restricting it to professional work. That's, like, that's a really, that'd be a really weird and kind of modern way of looking at work, to think it's only restricted to work you get paid for. So first of all, let me just take a step back, or a, a really big step back to the creation of the world. And the origin of work. And a very important point to note about work is that it precedes the fall. Work is not a curse. That's something that people think. Now, the, 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 the fall does affect work, and we'll talk about that in a second. But we see in Genesis 1, but this is before the fall, the first thing God says to the human race, this is the first words of God says to the human race, he says to them, 
This is Adam and Eve. He says, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. It says, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Basically, though, you can see given dominion over the world. The first thing he says, be fruitful and multiply, showing the importance of having children. But he then gives them work to do. They are supposed to basically subdue the world, because that's what he says. He says, you know, you, you must fill the earth and subdue it. So God gives work to Adam and Eve before the fall. So although work feels like a curse at times, it's not a curse. And in fact, the question is, why does work feel like a curse to most of us much of the time? And that's because one of the impacts of the fall, the fall, of course, disfigures everything in the world. It harms our relationship with God. It harms our relationship with others. It harms our relationship with ourselves. And it harms our relationship with the whole world. So it basically impacts everything. And we see then, in, after the fall, he says to Adam, he says, to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taking your dust, and to dust you shall return. So we see the difference between those two statements by God. In the first one, there's nothing bad. I mean, it all sounds great. You're going to fill the world and subdue it. It's not going to be this curse or anything like that. It's, it's just something that that's what your, your duty is. But then when he says after the fall to Adam, basically, you know, cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. You know, sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. You're going to have to, now you're really going to have to, what we would now call work. You're going to have to work for it. And so even though work is given to us as a gift from God, as a way of serving God, it has now become a curse. And so that's an important thing to note. That, and it, that's why our struggle happens with work. That's why for most people today, work is just something we do in order to get a paycheck. Work is something you do because we have to. Most people, I think, if you polled them and you asked them, if you didn't have to work, would you? I think the vast majority would say, no, I wouldn't work if I didn't have to. And I think even if we're honest with ourselves at times, we probably wouldn't mind perhaps giving over some of our duties at home. If, we were, if they say, hey, I'll give you somebody who's going to do the laundry, who's going to cook the meals, who's going to clean the house, who's going to change the diapers, I doubt many of us would be like, nah, that's okay. <laughs> I'd rather do that myself. And that's because it is, it is both a blessing and a curse now. Work is both. But what we are called to do as Catholics, we are called to now sanctify our work. We are called to make work the thing that draws us closer to God, to make it a gift again, even though it was created as a curse. So there's an intimate connection. This is, this, by the way, this topic is perfect this time of year now that we're in Lent. Because it really is the idea of the sanctification of work is really a sanctification of suffering. Because that's what we don't like about work. Because, you know, if we have a job that we like, I mean, 
There's parts of taking care of your kids, for example, that you love, that you wouldn't ever outsource that. You're not going to outsource you know, reading a book to your kid or, or hang, playing with them outside. Those things you're like, no. But that is technically work. I mean, when you're reading a book to your four-year-old, even though you love it and you wouldn't trade anything in the world for it, it still is work, technically, because you're doing something to help them and you're spending time helping another person. But there's lots of aspects, like I said, that aren't like that. And so, and there's suffering. But of course, in Lent, we learn that suffering is part and parcel of being a disciple of Christ. We're not better than our master. Our master, of course, Jesus Christ, he was called to suffer, suffer for us. And he told us that we have to take up our cross daily. Well, the way we take up our cross daily, one of the primary ways, isn't through necessarily, isn't primarily through giving ourselves extra mortifications, which are good things to do, and we should do that, and especially during Lent we're called to do that, we give up certain things. But really it's taking the sufferings that we already have and we offer those up to God. Because there's two different types of suffering. There's active suffering and then there's passive suffering, or active mortification, passive mortification. Active mortification is those things we choose to do. So for example, we choose one that we're commanded to choose is to not eat meat on Fridays during Lent, for example. But most of us probably, we do something on Fridays all throughout the year, maybe give up meat or whatever the case may be. But other things we choose, we, we, hopefully we all have certain mortifications we do, especially during Lent, those are active. And those are very important and those are part and parcel of being a Christian. We definitely have to do that. But the, the greater grace, all, the spiritual writers all agree on this, the greater grace comes from passive, accepting passive suffering, passive mortifications. I mean, I don't know about you, but I get up, you know, I'll pray in the morning, and I might have a prayer where I say, you know, help me to accept what happens this day and offer it up to you. An hour later, something goes bad for me, and I'm already cursing the, the day. And I'm already upset. I'm like, why does this have to happen? And it's like I'm not getting the point that that's the more important one. I might say, okay, I'm going to fast today, but then if something happens that day that bothers me and I let it bother me and I get upset, maybe I snap at one of the kids, or I, of course, never snap at my wife. Um, <laughs> I'd snap at one of the kids or something like that, or I, I get upset about something. Well, honestly, that's not a good day, even if I did a great job fasting. That's not a great day spiritually because I didn't accept that passive suffering. Well, work is what gives us passive suffering every day. It gives us those opportunities to offer things up. So let's say you work in a professional job and your boss gives you a job that you, that you really don't want to do. Or your boss is a jerk and it's just a terrible boss or something like that. And there's all these things you have to accept. Or the day is going, or, or, you're, or, or you uh, are a stay-at-home mom, and like everything goes wrong that day. The kids are just awful. They're, they're just running around being terrible, and you just can't even think because it's just like so crazy. Those are things that God, those are, those are quite frankly, those are gifts from God. Each one of them, each time that happens, that is a gift from God. Because that is God telling you how much he loves you. Because he's giving you an opportunity to be like his son, Jesus. If you never have suffering in life, it's not really, you're going to have a hard time being a Christian. I mean, that's just the way it is. And in fact, I was just reading this morning, uh, 
devotion where he talked about how it's God's love that gives you suffering. And when you have suffering, we usually think the opposite way, that God's forgetting about us or he hates us or something like that when we have suffering. But it's literally the opposite. It means God loves you. St. Jose Maria, he wrote, Work is part and parcel of man's life on earth. It involves effort, weariness, exhaustion, signs of the suffering and struggle which accompany human existence and which point to the reality of sin and the need for redemption. But in itself, work is not a penalty or a curse or a punishment. Those who speak of it that way have not understood sacred scripture properly. It's time for us Christians to shout from the rooftops that work is a gift from God. Work, all work, bears witness to the dignity of man, to his dominion over creation. So you see, of course, he's pulling that from Genesis itself. And so one of the quotes that, that St. Jose Maria loved from, from Scripture, it's kind of a unique tra- uh, interpretation, frankly, but I, I like it as well. It's when Jesus is speaking about his death, and he says... Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all things to myself. And of course, he said this to show what kind of death he was to die. But St. Jose Maria looked at that phrase, I will draw all things to myself. And he used that as a way of explaining that literally all of creation is used in Christ's redemptive work. There's nothing that is left out. So there's nothing that happens to you, nothing that happens in the world that is left out of Christ's redemptive work. He literally brings all things to himself on the cross. That's where he brings up, because what does he say? When I am lifted up, obviously meaning the death he's going to die, which St. John says explicitly. So he's not bringing all things to himself in the resurrection. He's bringing all things to himself in the cross because he knows because of the fall, We have a suffering world. We have a fallen world. And so it's those things which bring us closer to him. It's those things which bring the cross to our lives. And so this is kind of the solution to the problem I had, which was this idea that, okay, I have my work self, my secular self here, and then over here I have my sacred self. It's like, no, there is no such dichotomy. What really is you have... You're making the secular sacred. So you're making everything you do, you're offering it to God. And because really, and there's, there's explicit ways to do that, and there's implicit ways to do that. I'll talk about some explicit ways in a minute. But one of the implicit, what, implicit ways to do it is simply that work is a school of the virtues. We all know this with our own kids, right? When we're raising our kids, we want them to do chores around the house, First of all, just because it helps and it gets work done, so we don't have to do it. But also because we know it teaches them virtue. It teaches them things like discipline. It teaches them things like obedience. It teaches them things like perseverance. All these things, diligence, you know, whatever the case may be, all these virtues, you don't, you can't, you can't have a, you can't build virtue without work. One of the things that kind of bothered Suzanne and I when we lived down in Florida, we lived in a retirement community. And it kind of bothered us how people came down there to check out. Now, there's nothing wrong with, of course, retiring to Florida. That's not the point. The problem was that we saw a lot of people, they came down there and they thought, okay, I'm done. I don't need to do anything else anymore in this life. It's like, no, until you die, you're not done. That really, it's, it doesn't matter if you are a kid 
uh, a young mother, an older mother, a, a grandmother, a retiree, whatever the case may be, you still have work, and you still can grow in the virtues. And so work is this great way that we can grow in the virtues because what we can do is, for example, a great example is just like if you have a boss and they tell you to do something you don't want to do. Well, you're learning the virtue of obedience. They are rightfully giving you a task and you are obeying it. Now, of course, obedience would never apply if they're asking you to do something immoral or anything like that. But if they're telling you, if you know there's a certain way to do something, you know it's the best way to do it, but then they tell you to do something a different way, well, it's a great virtue to just say, okay, I'm going to do it your way because of obedience. The discipline it needs to get work done. I mean, I know all of us probably, I would guess, struggle with just getting things done around the house. That there's all these tasks to do, and if we're not disciplined, they won't happen. Now, depending on your state in life, I'm not one who thinks that, uh, sometimes the little thing about Opus Day, I've noticed that I love Opus Day, and I'm not a part of it, but I do love it. But they do seem to really emphasize sometimes cleanliness at home and stuff like that. And I'm kind of like, hey, when you got like five kids who are like eight and under, we're doing our best, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's like, we're really trying. We, we, we're friends with an Opus Day priest, and we spend a good deal of time cleaning up the house before he comes over. <laughs> I'll just say that. We're like, okay, we need kids, we need to, Father Jim's coming, we need to get this thick and span for this, for, for him coming. But, but it is true that, I mean, there's, there's a range here of, of cleanliness. Obviously, you, you want to keep your, you don't want your house to be a pigsty. But there's a difference between if you have a bunch of kids who are young, you're doing your best to keep it basically not a pigsty <laughs> versus maybe you, you're, you're a retired couple and, and you have no kids at home. It can be a lot. I mean, you know, the difference between my parents' house, for example, which is like a museum and, and my house, which isn't, I don't think it's bad, but it's not a museum because we have, you know, kids at home and everything. So, but the point is there is discipline, Joe, to keep it to the level that is acceptable for you. That there's discipline to do that and there's perseverance, sticking with it. I mean, one of the jobs we have is work, even though it's, a, it's such a great blessing, is raising our kids. And so that takes perseverance. It's not a one-time, you know, okay, I'll get the kid do a good job when he's three, but when he's 14, I'm just going to check out. No, you have at least 18 years of intense work in front of you when you have a child. Just so you know, 18 years. <laughs> at least 18 years in front of you of intense work. Work that is literally 24-7. Because you will wake up in the middle of the night deathly worried about your kids. So it's, at all times, you have this this work. But the point is, is like that's a virtue of perseverance, that you don't give up on any job that you have. Perseverance also in that, especially, for example, the d domestic work, it is extremely repetitive, and so therefore it can be extremely boring. You are, when you especially have a little kid changing a diaper so many times a day, it's the exact same thing. Doing the laundry, however often you do it, it's the exact same thing. Making dinner, cleaning up the kitchen, whatever the case may be. All these things. And a lot of jobs in the professional world are like that too. You're doing the exact same thing over and over again. And so you have this perseverance you say, and discipline. Say, I'm just going to continue to do that. So work is this school of virtues. And you see how that is a way that it's the blending of the secular and the sacred. Because if I'm treating my work as a school of virtue, well, that's one of the primary duties in the sacred life, so to speak, is of Catholic, is growing in virtues. I mean, that's our fundamental task, is growing in virtue. Well, this is your opportunity. In fact, that's why 
often God gives us these things that happen that are bad is because he wants us to grow in virtue. Now, there's another way, though. That's kind of the implicit way that work blends. We're supposed to blend our, our secular and our sacred work and our sanctification together is through that growth in virtue. But then the more explicit way is a way that St. Paul wrote about when he said that we're supposed to pray without ceasing. Now, how in the world can we pray without ceasing? I mean, we're not praying right this second, are we? And so it's like, how can we even do that? In fact, in the East, there's this tradition called the Jesus Prayer of which people literally, monks would literally pray without ceasing. They would repeat the Jesus Prayer over, it's a short, just one sentence prayer, they would repeat it over and over again until it was part of their breathing. And so they would take quite literally that task to pray without ceasing. Now, this is typically a monks who could do this, but it's very difficult for us if, if you're at work. Like when I was a computer programmer and I'm at the computer and I'm programming, I can't exactly be saying the Jesus prayer in my head while I'm trying to figure out you know, a program or something like that. And most of us, it'd be difficult to do. But yet, Scripture says we're supposed to pray without ceasing. And so that's a command we're supposed to do. So how do we do that? I think what we do is we make our work our prayer. For a priest, his altar is obviously the altar where he offers the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And so he is obviously priest. He has an obvious altar. Well, the truth is, every one of us, the Scripture says, are called to be priests. Not sacramental priests, of course. But we are called to be priests of Jesus Christ. And so if that's true, then we all have altars. Your altar might be the changing table. Your altar might be the kitchen sink. Your altar might be the computer desk at work. Whatever the case might be, that is your altar. And so what you do is you offer up your work to God. And, that, and really, it's good to think sometimes explicitly think about it as this is my altar. So when you're changing that diaper for the one millionth time... Like, this is my altar. Just like the priest offers his sac the, the sacrifice of the Mass every single day over and over again. It's not boring. For, I mean, I hope not. It's not boring or repetitive for that because we know it's this great miracle of uh, God becoming, uh, Jesus becoming the Holy Eucharist and all that. Well, honestly, that's our, your call of the altar. If you're changing a diaper, for example, you're writing a computer program that might be repetitive. That's your offering to God. And so what happens is, if you can kind of change your mind, because that's what I had to do, was when I was at work and I was programming, I saw no connection between computer programming and being a saint. I thought it got in the way of me being a saint. But that's exactly backwards. That was my path at that time, being a computer programmer, to being a saint. In fact, one of the things it, it does when you think of it like that it helps prevent what I call like flights into fancy, into like uh, fantasy, I'm sorry, flights into fa fantasy, in the sense that you're not thinking, oh, if only my life history was like this, then I could become a saint. When we lived in Maryland, we went to this young priest for a number of years for spiritual direction. He was great. He had just become a priest like the week before practically. And, but he was, we just knew immediately this guy was a holy guy. He was, grew up a Baptist, but from the time he was four, he wanted to be a Catholic priest which is very odd. And he, became a, he converted in high school. His parents finally let him, and he became a Catholic priest. But I remember one time I was at a confession with him at spiritual direction, and I noted somewhat offhandedly that, boy, you know, I have all these tasks as a, as a husband, as a father and work. If I could just, you know, if I could be a monk or something like that, it would be so much easier to be a saint. 
Now, Father Scott was like this very super nice, gentle, he was always like never really harsh like that. He just lit into me. I was like, oh my gosh, because he knew how dangerous a thought that is. That little thought of if only I could be over here, then things would be great. You, you get a kernel of that, that grows, and all of a sudden, you want to get out of your life. You, know, you think the things that God has given you as gifts, your wife, your children, your work, whatever the case may be, you now look at those as ways against God, and so you want to leave them. And you have no way of then becoming holy because the very things God gave you to become holy, you are rejecting. And so I was so shocked by that. I mean, I remember this day, he was sitting behind a desk, and... It was just so odd for him, but he knew how dangerous it was. And so that was a very loving thing and obviously the best thing he could do. But that's what happened. That, that's why our mental attitude needs to be towards, uh, towards work is that this is what God has given us to become more holy, to become saints, not something that gets in the way of that. And so what are some practical things we can do in order to make our work, besides having this different mental attitude, practical things, I think we can do things to infuse our day with prayer, with explicit prayer. Now, obviously, like I said, everything you do is prayer if you make it prayer, but we are supposed to explicitly pray too. So have a daily routine of prayer that hopefully you can do it in the morning, but if, I understand everybody's schedule is different if you have to do it at a different time, but set aside a time every single day to pray. Now, how often you pray that Spiritual directors from, you know, time began usually recommend an hour a day. Now, that might be very difficult to do, and you might not be anywhere near that now. And always what I would say is just do what you can now and then try to add on five minutes after a few weeks or a month, maybe ten minutes or something like that, and grow up to an hour. Uh, the great quote from Fulton Sheen is, uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen, somebody, asked him one, somebody said to him one time after he said you should pray an hour a day, he's like, I don't have time to pray an hour a day. And he said, well, you need to pray two hours a day then. <laughs> and it's like that's the most important thing. So try to really find time because that, of course, by setting that, that, the reason I say in the morning, because that then sets your day for the rest of the day that now you've, kind of, you've offered your day up to God, everything that happens. So that's one thing. Also, just, you, know, you can pray. And when, what you do can be spiritual reading. Obviously, pray the rosary. It could be uh, the divine office. There's various ways and things you can do during that, that time. But also, intersperse your day with prayer. Like one of the best practices, in my opinion, in our family, we homeschool and I work from home, so we're all kind of there all day, is at noon we pray the Angelus. And it's a great thing because even if we pray in the morning, and then there's hours, we're, we're all doing work, you know, kids are doing their school, Suzanne's homeschooling and doing all her stuff, and I'm working downstairs. And then it's like, all of a sudden there's a break at noon, like, okay, let's pray the Angelus. It's a great way to be like, okay, let's remember, take a step back and remember, okay, this is why we are doing all these things. And then maybe at night you could pray uh, the rosary before bed or even a, a short prayers before bed. We actually pray Compline with our kids um, before they go to bed at night, and I think that's something else you could do. And then throughout the day, have little prayers that you say maybe before a task starts or something like that. Let's say there's a, a daily task you do every day. Maybe before that, have a short little prayer where you just something say, you know, Jesus, I offer this up to you. Or, uh, Blessed Mother, please help me to be a mother like you. Or whatever. You can make up anything. There's lots of different prayers out there that you can do. Also, another practical thing is have images of Christ, of the Blessed Mother, of the saints around. 
And you know, if it's at work, you could have a little crucifix maybe on, on your desk next to the computer, something like that. If it's at home, obviously you're more free to put things up around. And you could maybe something, uh, who's the saint that we have the icon of in the kitchen? Euphrosinus. Saint Euphrosinus. And he, his, his, he's an Eastern saint, but his story is something to do with cooking. I know that. <laughs> he, he was out of an ingredient he really needed. This is why it speaks to me. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And and the modern thing is saying, Maria, go run to the store and get this. Um, <laughs> our daughter Maria. So, but yet have those different images around wherever you do your work, and and that gives you just a reminder again, just an image. Maybe have a, a crucifix in your pocket or something like that that you can you know touch or something like that to remind you these practical things. So throughout the day, because it's human nature to forget about those things. If you just simply maybe pray once a day, never think again the rest of the day about, about specifically uh, Christian things. And so that helps to remind you that mental, that helps you with your mental attitude. Another thing that's a great thing is to just, when something goes wrong, St. Uh, John Paul II would do this. He'd just say, thank you, Jesus. And just say, you might not mean it, <laughs> but you still say it. And that's a great prayer as well. So when something goes wrong where all of a sudden... You know, I think there's a story when that happened, St. Uh, John Paul II, he got his hand crushed in the door or something like that. Like they closed the door on his hand and he just said, thank you, Jesus. And it was just a, a great example of when those things go, go wrong, when, when, when you're doing something, it just, it's all going, falling apart. You just can say, thank you, Jesus. And so those are some practical things you can do to make your work your prayer and to sanctify your work so that you don't have then this this break between the secular world and the sacred world. So another thing I would recommend, one more thing I'd recommend is that you say a prayer to St. Jose Maria Escriva because he was the apostle of work and he really, that was his focus. And you know, we have all these patron saints of different things because of the way they live their life. His focus was the sanctification of work. And so ask for his intercession that maybe in the morning you could ask St. Jose Maria for his intercession to... Uh, to make your work your prayer, to, to sanctify your work. He has a number of great books. Um, his most famous is The Way, and then there's a whole bunch of other ones. I'm trying to remember the names. Friends of God is a collection of his, his homilies, and there's a whole series of, of different works. You can actually, all his writings are free online. I think it's escrivoworks.org or something like that. If you just look up like Escrivo writings, you'll find them. But it's very, I'd also recommend that if you're looking for something for that time of prayer, maybe get the way by St. Jose Maria, because little short snippets of spiritual direction that I think are very helpful. So that'd be the final thing. So basically, though, the idea is don't separate your life into the secular and the sacred. Combine them into one, make them all sacred, and so that your life of holiness, of becoming a saint, is really taken by every single thing you do, whether it is explicit prayer or your work. Everything that's given to you is a gift to help you become a saint. Thank you very much. Okay, that's it for today's show. Before we leave, a reminder, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Eric R. Sammons. I also have a Facebook page, uh, just Eric Sammons. Uh, but thank you very much for listening to Swimming Upstream. Until next time, keep swimming against the stream.